What's going on, podcasting world? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. My name is Mike Corvino. With me, as always, Cole Swanson. Cole, what's up, man? Nothing much. Glad I went three weeks in between this I one know. and the last one. Glad it was only a week this time. Good to be back. Mm-hmm. So I got two uh, guests with us today. Um, I got Ian and Allison from MUSC, Medical University of South Carolina, both of them P4s. Mm-hmm. What's going on, y'all? Hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> Allison has uh, told me that she refuses to speak into the <laughs> microphone, so we're going to try to trick her throughout the episode, <laughs> so stand by for that. And uh, Ian, what's your plans uh, for after this amazing rotation that you're on right now? Uh, it's a good question. I guess um, immediately I'll be headed over to the VA for an AMCARE nice. in geriatrics. Um, after school remains to be seen. Um, got a lot of different interests and kind of trying to narrow that down. I think school for me is the past three years has mostly been about like crossing stuff off the list. Yeah. So, um, but I guess I have kind of a special interest in um, infectious disease uh, by way of learning about pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. And um, I'd say of all the things that I learned about in school, that's kind of what I'm most interested in. That's cool. So I'm looking at um, some fellowships uh, that are kind of related to that area after school. Um, But I also really enjoy working in ambulatory care and working with patients with uh, chronic diseases and underserved populations and that kind of thing. So yeah, we'll see. I'm not really sure. Trying to keep an open mind. That last part was to suck up to you. So (laughs) (laughs) just really like the Amcare type (laughs) setting. It's just for the people who work in that really inspire me. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, both of them have actually been uh, very, very good this month. This is the first month where they have like really maxed out my schedule to try to get our A1Cs under control before the end of the year. And so they've been like double booking appointment times and all oh, that. I hadn't, I hadn't noticed. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been very fortunate to have uh, both of them here this month because otherwise it would have been rough. Just just charting would have taken me 72 hours a day. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been awesome having them. Um, <clears throat> Allison. <laughs> Yes. So can I just ask real quick, you don't have to say it real loud or anything in the mic, but just uh, any ideas what you're planning on doing after school? Um, after school, I'm looking into doing a residency. I'm not really sure where or what, but I like critical care and oncology, so that's my realm at the moment. Mm, hard well, stuff. Yeah. Until it, it changes. Fun well, stuff. you know, pick the easy ones, right? Okay. You know, sometimes you just got to take the easy way out. Right. <laughs> no, that's awesome. See, that wasn't so hard. Yeah. You did awesome. You're natural. Yeah. yeah. Way better than Ian. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, that was, that was good. Good job. Cool. Can't wait to ask you more questions now. <laughs> Pass the test. Great. First one's out of the way. Yeah. It's no, just like a bandage. You just got to rip it off. <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, so today, um, so this was the original plan. I'll go ahead and give you guys some uh, behind the scenes uh, action. So Ian and Allison came up with a lecture for my PA students on UTIs because I had a lecture on that. They, they picked that as their topic, um, made a very good PowerPoint presentation, presented on the, the whole hour and a half lecture. And then so, you know, trying to use time wisely, I was like, hey, you guys should just present this in the PowerPoint or uh, in the podcast because we haven't done UTIs yet. And we did UTI like three months ago. That's how awesome my memory is. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, that stinks. So uh, instead of just scrapping that whole idea, we're going to talk about a situation um, where, you know, we have a patient who has diabetes and they're on SGLT2. And so we can kind of go into that since there's some more, um, I guess, uh, data coming out with those guys and, and some, uh, some direction in that class of medications that's kind of um, – going in a different way besides diabetes. And we talk about that, um, and then we can lump in UTIs as a good review. So if you just now are kind of finding the podcast and didn't listen to it in March or May, whenever it was, 
you're good to go. We're covering <laughs> you twice. So uh, yeah, that's the that's the behind the scenes action. So what do we want to do, Cole? You want to just you want to kick this in and just, just start off? Starting off with the case, or are we just talking about um, going through the PowerPoint? Sure. Let's just have a case that I'm about to make up. So don't look for this on the website because there is not one. This might not be posted. Might not be posted yet because it's uh, theoretical. So if we had a patient, um, let's say he is 66 years old mm-hmm. and uh, creatinine clearance is, let's say, 60, give him a decent creatinine clearance for being as old as he is, um, his A1C is 8, and uh, he is currently on metformin one gram twice a day, and he is on Jardian's 25 milligrams daily, also taking Pravastatin 80 and he's taking lisinopril, 40 milligrams. Um, blood pressure is controlled. Um, not no uh, protein in the urine, um, and no other health conditions except for uh, hypertension, which, like I said, is controlled. So, um, randomly develops um, some of the symptoms of a UTI, and so he presents to our clinic, uh, where our new uh, Amcare pharmacist Ian first meets this fine gentleman and uh figures out what's going on with him how was that yeah I, that was as far as just impressive. off the top of your head Woo. very impressed mike thank you it's good i'm extremely good at making things <laughs> up on the spot <laughs> it's like a gift it's almost like you've seen these patients before yeah, yeah kind of <laughs> so there you go there's our uh there's our patient case there's a very interesting conversation to have about sglt2s in general too um with the data that's come out i remember when the infrared trial came out Everybody was like, yeah, so Invocana is the, you know, the leader in sales and it's it's been the number one for a while, but we think that Jardians is going to overtake it. I never dispense Invocana anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, Farsiga, just every once in a while, every once in a while Invocana. But Jardians, I mean, it's a consistent like five to ten bottles a day we're pushing out and coming back in. And for a brand name drug, that's not too bad. So I think that Jardians is definitely, I, I don't know any numbers or anything, but I would presume that they've taken Invocana for sure by now. Yeah, the um, I have to look at the numbers too because I'm not really really sure on that either. But um, I, we definitely I know for our clinic when I was redoing some of the prices, uh, the two that we could get the cheapest were Jardians and Invocana, and so I made I made Invocana like five dollars more expensive <laughs> <laughs> to try to like I'm not like you know persuade, persuade or anything, but it's five bucks. You guys might want to use the more evidence based uh, SGLT two. Hey, hey, Doc, I mean, it's five extra dollars five for extra this patient. You know, do you not care about saving this, this one person is, money? This one is cheaper. We always go with the cheaper option, right? Yeah, that's what it is. Go. That way it's not like them having to take my word for it that's a little bit better. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we do have them kind of pretty cheap, though. So, yeah, um, I agree. I like Jardians, and I think we see that more so. We've just spent quite a bit of them. I was looking at our sales yesterday, and uh, we've just been, our internal pharmacies spends quite a few of them, too, compared to, to other months. So our evil plan is working to get people on <laughs> legitimate medications. So the, the three big trials are Empereg, which has been out for a while, Canvas, also been a couple of years, and then the uh, Declare Timmy trial for Farsiga. Yeah. Um, we know that SGLT2s, just based on their mechanism of action, um, they can increase risk for genital urinary infections, and we'll get more into that in a little bit, and UTIs. Um, I just wanted to, to mention that they do generally um, 
delineate between the two as far as UTIs go and other genitourinary tract infections. So this patient is presenting with UTI specifically. Um, there was a made analysis that's kind of outdated. It's from 2017. Um, took a significant amount of randomized control trials involving SGLT2s to look at the adverse effect data. And they actually found that there wasn't a increased risk of UTIs versus um, placebo, but there was an increased risk of other genitourinary tract infections which I thought was strange because I'm like, well, you know, if you're going to have other ones, yeast infections and whatnot, you'll probably have UTIs too. Um, they did say that the uh, evidence from the Impareg trial w weighed heavily into that. So if they took the Impareg trial data out, then there was an increased risk of UTIs. So it, it was of note that in it, with Jardians, there wasn't an increased risk of UTI, but there was an increased risk of other genitourinary tract infections. And that's different from Canvas and Declare Timmy where there was increased risk of UTI, increased risk of other genitourinary, and with Canvas, also people always talk about the increased risk for um, amputations mm -hmm. as well, which is was kind of strange. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk more about the amputation thing as well. But um, go on, let's start from, like, the beginning of this patient. So if the person presented with uh, a UTI, and can you kind of walk us through um, – some of the basic pathophys and sure. some of the, uh, I guess, like diagnostic criteria. Um, and let's talk real briefly, too, about kind of the breakdown between acute, uncomplicated, complicated, kind of since those sure, yeah. can get tricky. Yeah, so <clears throat> I, guess, uh, I guess it probably makes sense to start with the difference between uncomplicated and complicated and kind of go from there. Um, traditionally, uncomplicated UTIs uh, are... You know, patients who are women, um, who are not pregnant, who have no known urological uh, abnormalities, and who have no known comorbidities. Um, whereas a complicated UTI, they have to meet uh, one or more of the following. So they could uh, be male, pregnant, um, have urologic abnormalities, or uh, some presence of comorbidities like being immunocompromised, um, possibly having diabetes. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, after a little bit of background research, you know, the, the definitions of uncomplicated and complicated UTI are sort of variable. And the, the big thing is that they really require some clinical judgment, uh, getting it right. Um, you know, as I mentioned, patients with comorbidities like diabetes are sort of classically thought of as complicated when they present with a UTI. Um, but many experts don't really automatically consider those patients complicated. Um, and unless they have, you know, concerning symptoms, like that would suggest that they have an upper urinary tract infection or some sort of systemic um, symptoms, um, they may not consider them complicated from the get-go. Uh, but that being said, diabetes patients uh, can have a much higher risk for developing a more serious infection. So you got to be aware of that moving forward. Uh, these patients need to be followed closely. And in general, uh, a lot of clinicians will recommend sort of a much lower threshold for treating the infection as complicated. So if a concerning symptom shows up, then uh, you just want to be aware of that. Right. Follow them closely, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as far as our normal, you know, urine production, urine is, is typically uh, not filled with bacteria, Ster right? Sterile, I would say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, some of the normal ways that it helps to eliminate bacteria or keep bacteria from growing, um, keeping a lower pH, um, the uh, osmolality, um, and then also high urea and organic acid concentrations. Um, and then when that kind of 
gets out of homeostasis, then that's when we can start seeing colonization of bacteria and infection. Um, can you uh, share with us some of the organisms that we would potentially be seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, traditionally, we definitely think of E. coli being the number one organism that we would see. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, it's as high as like 95%. Uh, I've seen between 75 and 95% in uncomplicated cystitis, and it's a little bit lower in complicated um, I've seen less than maybe 65%, but still by, you know, far and away the, the most common. Um, less commonly you see Pseudomonas, uh, Enterococcus, uh, you see Staph, um, in uncomplicated cystitis, you see Staph saprophyticus and in complicated, you can see, um, methicillin susceptible and also methicillin resistant Staph aureus. And then in both you can, uh, see Enterobacteriaceae. Um, mostly Klebs, pneumonia, and proteus species as well. So what, you know, besides this patient being elderly, because one thing you share with my class is that the, uh, usually it's women that are more at risk for UTIs, but as the, they get older, um, those differences between male and female, um, occurrences seem to be a little bit more, uh, equal. So, you know, besides his becoming elderly, what are some other like risk factors that would put this patient, you know, uh, at risk for having a UTI? Well, uh, you know, I don't have much information about this specific patient. Well, just, I mean, like the risk factors that you kind of shared with. In terms of like just growing older? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and and also just, you know, some other risk factors you listed for the PA students too. Uh, I'm not even trying to trick you. I'm just... Oh, going no. off your information, <laughs> believe it or not. Well, uh, yeah, you know, as as we get older, we are more at risk um, for developing a UTI. Um, in general, we think of UTIs as affecting women more frequently than than men. Um, but actually, in the eighty and older age group, uh, pyelonephritis, the, you know, the incidence and prevalence of pyelonephritis, which is a more severe form of a UTI, um, tightens up between men and women. So it's about about equal. You know, a lot of that has to do with um, just, you know, things that are more likely to affect you when you grow older, uh, things like BPH for men, um, uh, fecal incontinence is a big thing, um, increased uh, instrumentation in the bladder, you know, catheterization, um, the incidence of UTIs really increases in nursing homes. Um, yeah. Was I, was I, did we have a male or female? Uh, male. Okay. Male. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Good. Making sure. Yeah. Um, reduced mobility is a big thing. Yeah. You know, as we get older, we slow down. Um, what else? We may be more uh, more prone to be exposed to you know healthcare settings where mm-hmm. where patients can pick up uh, something like a UTI. And I think that's important too because I remember very vividly like a, a patient coming in when I was uh, in intern. I think it was a P one or P two maybe. Um, I remember a patient coming into the consult window at, of Walgreens that I was working at as an intern. It's nice that y'all have a window. Ours is just like a big open space. Uh-huh. They just come and like sit on the counter, and you know we're just standing there. It's great. <laughs> Ours is extremely um, confined, confined, and Enclosed. also just extremely clinical. I just this clinical air about it. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Very professional. <laughs> Very McDonald's-esque <laughs> um, pickup window, but uh, anyways, this guy came up and he he had get, it was a male. He had had a, he had a UTI, gotten diagnosed. He was getting his antibiotics, and he basically said, "I'm not sexually active. How in the world could I have gotten a UTI?" And I remember the pharmacist kind of like pausing for a minute and then just kind of making some some kind of a bullcrap answer, <laughs> just because he didn't like know quite how to 
respond to that as far as the risk factors, but things like BPH and all this, like you mentioned, are all good to kind of have in the back of your mind if you do run into this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so, you know, that being said, um, you have uh, the diagnostic criteria. Can you run us through that real quick too, since we're on this? Sure. You know, I've seen more, a lot more of the um, macro bid immediately after intercourse deal. The whole, I feel like uh, than I used to. The prophylaxis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We can talk on that, about that a little bit too. Yeah. So diagnosis. So, um, you know, in terms of signs and symptoms, uh, symptoms of cystitis uh, along with a fever, you know, higher than, you know, maybe 99.9, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, um, you're looking for flank pain and costovertebral angle tenderness. Um, that's suggestive of pyelonephritis. So those are symptoms that would make you think that uh, it might be a more severe infection. Um, if pyuria is present, that's the presence of white blood cells, um, then that's a sign of infection. Um, fever and sepsis in the presence of pyuria and bacteriuria. Uh, of course, in any of these cases, you're going to want to rule out any other causes first. Um, and then acute complicated UTI is unlikely if uh, pyuria is not present. Okay. Um, good thing to always think about is that symptoms alone are sort of unreliable for diagnosing a bacterial UTI. So you got to kind of look at the whole picture. Um, do you want to talk about the methods that we use to? Sure. Sort of yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, urine collection is obviously a big thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, the preferred method, there's different methods to go about it, but the preferred method is a uh, midstream clean catch method. Uh, like so, fly fishing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Nurses love this. They take them down to the creek. Yep. <laughs> Say, all right, get ready. <laughs> nice mountain stream. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> um, so you, uh, so the, the kind of the steps to that are just to clean the urethral opening and then void a little bit of urine. And then, uh, as you're doing that, you, you know, pass the urine cup, uh, into the stream of urine and collect the urine, you want to uh, process that immediately or uh, refrigerate it as soon as you, you can. Uh, because if you allow it to sit at room temperature, then it can uh, multiply and maybe give you a false positive result. When you said that uh, in the class and you're, you're like, yeah, refrigerate as possible, <laughs> that's when I realized that I'm like way too immature to be like teaching grad school. Because <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was just kind of like, huh. Like, I gave like, a little chuckle to myself and I'm like, oh man, this is. <laughs> I need to grow up. <laughs> it's like, cause I picture like someone's just safe saving in the refrigerator. Like I'll use this later. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me as funny, but I just remember doing that in class and being like, I hope nobody saw me laugh at that. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, if this, if this patient, we were to go ahead and say, okay, he had, he does have a UTI, um, antibiotic wise, you know, that's, there's a few different options that we can use as, as far as treatment. Um, so what, uh, you want to walk us through? I, I don't know if you're allowed to use your mnemonic because you kind of uh, borrowed that from one of professors, but it's true. If uh, sadly, if uh, if not, let's just walk through the actual. Yeah, so so I think um, you know for this patient, it's maybe a little bit uh, of a gray area because, as I was mentioning earlier, we're sort of uncertain whether or not it's complicated or uncomplicated. Um, there are three drugs that you can use in either case, and um, those are Bactrim, uh, double strength. Uh, also, Levo and Ciprofloxacin. Um, there is an increasing incidence and in resistance to fluoroquinolones. Um, it's growing and growing every year. And so, you know, for that reason, I, I might 
tend to push Bactrim for this patient. I don't see any reason why it would be contraindicated from the information that we have. Um, and so the dosing for that, um, for uncomplicated, if we were treating him as uncomplicated, it would be one double strength tablet twice daily for three days. So we're gonna try to treat this patient for as short a duration as possible to um, you know, try to prevent the development of resistance. Uh, but as I was saying earlier, you're gonna wanna keep a close eye on them and uh, make sure the, the symptoms of the UTI are resolving after a day or two. Um, they should be, otherwise you may need to look at a longer term treatment. Um, if you ended up treating them as a complicated patient, you could treat for up to seven to 10 days. You give one double strength tablet for twice, uh, twice a day. Um, one thing to kind of consider with the uh, Bactrim would be um, his potassium levels. So, mm -hmm. Cole, I know you uh, did a rotation where they were like adamant about someone being on an ACE inhibitor mm -hmm. and uh, Bactrim. Do you remember the study that they quoted from that off the top of your head? I have to look up the name, but I think it was from like 20... 13 maybe and basically i think i referenced this in the actual uti podcast too uh but but yeah basically bactrim along with an acer arb and you're over 65 increased risk of death within seven days that they think was uh, a result of increased potassium and strangely patients who were also taking lasix uh were at an even higher risk which didn't totally make sense but maybe they were on lasix because they had issues with potassium previously but yeah well and the other thing too if this person is on jardians also causes yes. hyperkalemia. So that's the thing yeah. that kind of um, brought, you know, made it spark in my mind is, you know, if the person gets on Bactrim and they're on Lisinopril and they're on Jardians, now the potassium could be high. So you may want to get at a K level. Yeah. At least get a at. K level. That mean necessarily not use it, but yeah. you, we just want to monitor. Yeah. So they figured we'd mention that. Because um, we have like 700 black box warnings with fluoroquinolones, right. along with the resistance too. So. Including every day. Yeah, yeah, and we also have to worry about hyperglycemia, which yeah. the person has diabetes. So either way, there's some risk with this patient. So always pick your poison with these. And then uh, if the person happened to be on a sulfonylurea, um, this person's not because we don't give him terrible drugs. <laughs> but uh, if the person was, then Bactrim also could cause an increased risk of hypoglycemia at that point um, because the sulfamethoxazole component has a similar structure to a sulfonylurea and can bind uh, to the, the same receptors in the um, pancreas causing the release of insulin, just like a sulfonylurea would. So, so only along with the sulfonylurea, or can it I, do that naturally? I think it can do it naturally, but it's it um, when someone's already on a sulfonylurea and you're already at just a little extra. you're already at risk for hypoglycemia. Yeah. Basically, um, you're increasing that risk. Yeah, interesting. So something also to consider. We've I I so and the reason I always think of that is because I do remember a patient that. Um, had was on glipizide twice a day and then got started on Bactrim and his, his sugar was like tanking in like the 50s and they couldn't figure out why. And as soon as he stopped the Bactrim and switched to Leviquin, his uh, um, his sugar stopped and stabilized again. Wow. So I did not know that. No, there you go. See, we're learning in real time, everyone. Right. <laughs> You're witnessing it. Um, and then so, uh, okay, so those are the three like kind of first-line treatments. Um, what else can we use... Uh, did you mention nitrofurantoin? Sorry, I didn't. Uh, well, the only reason that I didn't is because um, I was kind of focusing on the three drugs that could be used for uncomplicated or complicated. And complicated. If it got um, worse. Yeah. Right. However, uh, if we did decide um, to just go ahead and treat him as an uncomplicated case, mm -hmm. then actually the, the agents you would want to use first are Bactrim, yes, but also uh, nitrofurantoin and um, phosphomycin. Yeah. So. 
And there was a study, I think you re- referenced it possibly in your lecture, maybe not, but um, there was a study that looked at nitrofurantoin and phosphomycin head-to-head, and nitrofurantoin actually seemed to be a little more effective um, than phosphomycin, which, I, which actually really surprised me because I feel like when I was in school, I learned that phosphomycin was like, you know, your silver bullet for UTI. I think I heard the same thing, but it was pricey, so it was like we don't really use it too right. much. Right. And then now I'm like, I realized that I was lied to that whole time, so <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> the hard truth um, but yeah so those are the uh, different agents now if someone doesn't uh, if someone's renal function is um, decreased the original thought with nitrofurantoin especially is not to give uh, that because if you think about it, it's excreted and uh, th- thanks uh, Jay Crespo on Instagram we appreciate it said love the podcast boys <laughs> we, we appreciate you listening and uh, so the the initial thought of thought was if if it's excreted in the urine it has to have strong you know renal function in order to get to the bladder in the first place and uh, you know work where it needs to work but um, now we're kind of seeing that maybe that's not as big of a concern we don't have to make it contraindicated well in patients with somewhat reduced renal function um, some you know we we still can probably use other agents but just so that we're all clear they are there's some a uh, little bit changes in the school of thought when it comes to that. Because I remember it was, I, I want to say it was like 60 or 45 was like a hard cutoff. Yeah, I, I think was, they say 60 now. but And it, I know people use it less than, mm-hmm. near less than that. Yeah, I, I, I can't really speak to the, the hard evidence behind it, but I did uh, read that, you know, 60 is kind of thought of as the, as the cutoff, but that there's not really a whole lot of data to back it up. So yeah. I think you're right. There might be some flexibility there. But uh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of uh, any other kind of points while we're on these drugs. But phosphomycin, if you don't know, if you've never seen it, um, comes as a uh, little. Uh, it's it's called a, the technical term is a sachet. Sachet. Uh, but right. it's I just call it a packet of powder. <laughs> it's a what? It's a packet. Like, well, what did you say? It's a sachet. Sachet. Yeah. All right. It's, it's French. Okay. <laughs> it's German. So <laughs> the uh, so that that's it comes as this weird like little hack it so that throws people off if you've never seen that drug and there's a lot of people that have never even seen phosphomycin dispense so. i don't think i have actually i've dispensed it quite a bit when i was in retail for random legs we I had a hospital an independent pharmacy i worked with but um not never any mainstream pharmacy i guess i'm surprised i'm impressed with your sachet i would have said sachet yeah that's so. typical call yeah tip, Pronou- typical call pronouncing french things completely things. wrong it's so embarrassing there was there was one um like swedish word or something that had Oof. pronounced early on and Oof. that's that's when it all started i think that's when it all was mm-hmm. it went off the rails mm-hmm. since yep. then get you some culture Cole. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cole, can you please be a little bit more culturally sensitive i'm going to utah next week so. that is oh, not culturally yeah. sensitive. <laughs> <All right. laughs> i don't know how to do it lots of diversity in Utah. <laughs> right. no offense utah so. tons <laughs> <laughs> Pretty country out there. <laughs> so, uh, oh boy, um, we offended everyone and all six listeners in Utah. <laughs> That's right. Um, and one thing that surprised me about the because um, they just they just updated the guidelines for uh, recurrent UTI in women this year, and um, one of the things that they mentioned was that uh, you could potentially use cranberry um, in uh, recurrent UTI as prophylaxis because. Every study that I've ever seen, including ones fairly recently, I, I think I did an Alexa flash briefing on this not too long ago with a, a meta-analysis that came out um, that showed that it really wasn't all that effective. So uh, apparently there's enough evidence now where they gave a, 
I can't remember what level of evidence it was, but they, yeah, they called it a conditional recommendation, um, which is not their highest level of evidence yeah. to support Sounds it. Sounds very but confident. That's right. <laughs> it's a very conditional recommendation. But I think it's the best that it's ever been. Like, yeah, I would say, it, yeah, so. that's that's better than not recommended. Right or contraindicated even. <laughs> yeah, true. So, there you go. Let's, let's do all Ooh. the synonyms. Sorry, Ian, what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Ian's the only one taking this seriously. <laughs> Come on, guys. If guys, focus up. Thought you were professionals. Well, yeah, also, I, I, I'm going to go and say that we have had 519 downloads from Utah. So Have we? We Ooh, have. Oh, more shoot. than six. Sorry, guys. We love so you super much. So I think much. we need to redeem that a little bit. <laughs> we're all going to Utah. We're going to do a live episode. <laughs> Cole's pan. But out of like 100,000, I guess that's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even tell you guys. Should have said this at the beginning of the episode instead of killing the vibe right now. We had 100,000 downloads as of uh, for this year so far, yeah. as of this week. That's awesome. Great our, guys. our goal was 100,000 for the year. <laughs> Blew right through that. <laughs> it's not even month we end, uh, August. So, yeah, we've got three solid months of podcasting. Yes, left. we do. Yes, and we now do. Now, Cole can just get focused. And I could not go on vacation for every a week. five seconds. <laughs> it's constant. I, I He's hate in a doing constant work. state of vacation, constant state of rest and relaxation. That's <laughs> all I do. Anyways, Allison's like, "Why did I decide to come to this?" <laughs> <laughs> Allison, we're glad you're here. Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, if you're wondering why the heck cranberry, um, if you haven't heard of that, most of you, I'm sure, have heard of cranberry for for UTIs. But uh, cranberry actually keeps the bacteria from adhering to the epithelial cells in the bladder wall. So, it if they can't adhere, they can't colonize and cause an infection in the first place. It's kind of the uh, proposed mechanism of action for cranberry. Um, that being said, I would not offer this guy cranberry especially cranberry juice, um, because he's got diabetes. He does. And I do have people that think that they're taking this for UTI prevention, and then all of a sudden their A1C is 12 because they drink tons of cranberry juice that's like got 2% cranberries in it, and the rest of it's syrup. My wife had a patient, might have already said the story, that had A1C of 13-something, and she was like, I don't know what it is. I'm, you know, I, I eat really well, lots of fruits and vegetables, blah, blah, blah. And my wife was like, so how many fruits? And like her entire diet was like melons and oranges fruit, and, and fruit, grapes. What do they call that? Fruitopian or something? Uh, fruitarian. Fruitarian. There fruitarian. you go. Okay. I did not know where you're going with that. So <laughs> No, I was actually going to say something serious. Cole's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I thought you were going make, to make fun of vegetarians. <laughs> no, I would never. Guys never cool. do that. Yeah. I just made that word up, so I don't know if that's actually a thing. <laughs> no, Steve, Steve Jobs was that. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if that's the technical term for it, but <laughs> some point where you only eat fruit. Well, if it's not a if it's not a word, it is now. So yeah. Well, there you go. So if, if you're still listening to the podcast, <laughs> you haven't turned it off completely. Um, the other thing that uh, we can, I guess, we can mention since we're here is the phenazoparidine. Um, phenazoparidine is like a local anesthetic that works in the urinary tract mucosa, and it's you know obviously designed to prevent pain relief when somebody's having UTI. Uh, the concern with that is, um, you know, we want to be able to kind of figure out when um, the symptoms are coming back or if they're having recurrent symptoms before they even finish their treatment. And so if you're suppressing the pain and you can't feel that, then um, are, are we really helping the situation? And uh, it's also his the efficacy of it in general is also a little bit um, skeptical whether or not it's all that effective. It is available over the counter. As the uh, I think it's 95 milligrams over the counter is what comes in Azo, um, and then it's available as 100 and 200 milligram tablets uh, prescription. 
Um, one thing to make sure that you do tell patients, that this is just a nice, fun clinical pearl for your students, um, tell them that it will change their urine like in a red or orangish color because otherwise they could potentially think that they are bleeding from UTI, and that's not, not good. Um, it does have a super rare instance of hemolytic anemia, uh, so also not good, but much, much rarer than seeing the, the bodily fluids change colors. Tell them about their contacts as well. If they're you know, going to see a super sad movie and they're wearing contacts, you can actually discolor your contacts as well. So there's fun. You could cry blood. Cole is always crying at movies. That's what made me think of that. Uh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Bingo. It's very reasonable. I'll try this and then I can, I can you know, well, show my wife how intensely emotional I am because I'm literally crying, crying tears of blood. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then she's going to see blood coming out of your face and immediately go into neurologist mode <laughs> and panic and try, try to, to figure out. need to do a lumbar puncture. Yeah, lumbar puncture. I'll be like, I'll help. <laughs> <sighs> uh, anyway, so. I did okay. one yesterday, actually. Did she? Mm-hmm. Oof. I remember uh, when I was on rotation, the neurology rotation, this this random chief resident came up to me and he pointed to me and he was like, yo, you want to do a lumbar puncture? I was like, man, do I. <laughs> and I showed him my badge that said College of Pharmacy. He was like, yo, you want to watch a lumbar puncture? <laughs> I was like, touche, I'll watch. And then he found one of the real doctors to do it. All right, so, cool. Let's say we treat his UTI. He's good to go with that. Um Let's kind of double back to the SGLT2. So we're not sure if this actually is what caused it, because like Cole was saying, the evidence isn't necessarily uh, firm that it, the UTI is the big risk. We're maybe looking more like uh, yeast infections, things like that. Um, but he's still on an SGLT2, and we got to you know make sure that that's the best option for him. Um, if we're thinking about the the actual guidelines as far as uh, you add metformin and then you are going to use a second line agent. Uh, the first thing I want you to look for is assess ASCVD uh, history or risk. And if the person does have uh, a history of ASCVD, they want you to start with a GLP-1 that's evidence-based um, or an SGLT-2. And then same if uh, the patient has a history of heart failure or chronic kidney disease, then they want you to automatically start with an SGLT-2. And then if not, then go to a GLP-1. Um, other than that, then they kind of leave it up to the uh, clinician's decision to kind of go add on second line therapy. So this patient uh, wouldn't necessarily be wrong at all by being an SGLT2, and does this seems like it's a good option. His A1C is down to an eight, um, and you know, de- depending on what his diet and stuff is, we may not even need a third option. We may just need to get him some some diet tips. And we gave him a credit clearance of sixty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's good there. So the the big question would be, and kind of where I wanted to go with this was, um, where if all of a sudden his his renal function declined. So let's say he had an you know acute renal injury, or um, he just had you know worsening you know renal function, whatever. Um, all of a sudden his creatinine clearance is down into like the thirties. Uh, you know, is this a medication? that we want to keep in mind, would we see the same benefits from this? And, you know, is there any reason to keep him on this drug? So one of the the things that we can kind of think about is, you know, less than 45, we start to worry. And then really, we don't have any good evidence less than 30 um, uh, mils per minute for creatinine clearance. And 
you know, the, the big question has kind of been, well, is it still effective for the A1C? Um, we know that it can be renal protective. So Empereg outcomes, there was a, a renal uh, component to that. And then also with Canvas as well, um, that showed that these can be renal protective. Um, but are they still effective as far as lowering A1C? Um, so if you haven't read it, I don't know if we've actually talked about this on the podcast. Have we talked about Credence? No. We didn't? Okay. No, I don't think so. So the Credence trial came out. It's kind of old news now, so not we like to try to act cool and come up with stuff faster than this, but it's, I think it was out in like April or something, so it's a little bit old. But um, the Credence trial took uh, patients who had diabetes and CKD. Um, they had to currently be taking a some sort of a RAS blocker, so ACE or ARB, um, and then had to have a EGFR of 30 to less than 90. And um, they also had to have a albumin to creatinine ratio 300 to 5,000 milligrams per gram. So, you know, worsening renal function, diabetes, and then the basically the primary outcome that they were looking for was the occurrence of end-stage renal disease, doubling of serum creatinine or renal or cardiovascular death. Um, and so there was a composite primary and they did notice that there was a decrease. The relative risk reduction was 30% um, lower with Invokana. And um, it also had a lower risk of cardiovascular death, MI, and stroke as well. Um, there was also no significant difference in rates of amputation or fracture, which is interesting because Invokana was the one that Canvas, had yeah. the uh, amputation risk um, initially, which is the only one that's shown that, right? Right. And then, so one of the things is, was it because it was hundred milligrams versus 300? Um, possibly. Uh, but the big takeaway from this is the A1C, uh, was actually not significantly lower, whether they were on, uh, Invokana or placebo. Mm. And so as renal function declines, and they have a really nice graph on their, uh, supplement table, if you ever look at up the Credence trial, um, where it shows as renal function declines, the, uh, separation between, um, the A1C difference from, from baseline g gets closer and closer to placebo, um, the lower the renal function goes. So basically they lose their ability to, protect the A1C and lower the A1C, but they retain their ability to protect the kidneys. So, uh, I and don't the heart, know, apparently. And the heart, too, yes. And, and that comes more so from, you know, getting rid of the excess volume. So you're taking off the, uh, you know, the stress from the heart from, from not having as much uh, fluid. Um, and so you're, you're kind of the same effect as like a loop diuretic almost mm -hmm. um, in heart failure. So that's one of the one of the, the theories by why we see the, the reduction in hospitalizations due to heart failure and things like that. I, pro I probably have trouble keeping or starting someone on an SGLT2 with the side effect profile if I wasn't going to get any A1C lowering, even with the heart and, uh, and uh, renal benefit. I don't know. It kind of depends. So here's the, the kicker. and I, They are now studying, I think, all four of our SGLT2s, at least three of them. I'm not sure if Stiglatro does or not, but I think all four have studies undergoing right now where they're being studied in patients that do not have diabetes and they only have CKD. Hmm. So um, the, the nephro people are kind of excited because this could be like the first uh, treatment that we had for CKD in quite some time. So especially since these patients in the study were already on RAS blockades. Right. So yeah, those are probably going to be available in the next couple of years and we'll kind of see if we'll be seeing these in patients without diabetes. And I guess we didn't really even talk about the mechanism of action of an SGLT2, but just quickly, uh, the sodium glucose 
Code Transporter 2, SGLT2, it's a, um, it essentially helps reabsorb glucose into the kidneys. And so if you're inhibiting that, you're just going to get more glucose excretion from the kidneys, which explains the mechanism of potentially increased bacteria and yeast in the area because they feed on glucose and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And there's also another SGLT2 apparently coming out in the near future. I didn't mention Stiglatra, but yeah, Stiglatra is the newest. There's one called Zinquista, which mm. is sotagliflozin, and it's going to be a dual... Uh, SGLT1 and 2 inhibitor, apparently. I think they tried to get that approved in type 1s. When yeah, they're applying through. for a, a type 1, yeah. And I don't, I don't think it went through the last time I checked. But yeah, it's not been approved yet, yeah. So. I think that one's been available in, like, Japan or something like that for a while because it's been on up-to-date for a while, but it just wasn't available in the States. So I guess we have long-term data on it already. But um, real quick, too, let's also talk about some of the uh, black box warnings and just overall... Um, things to be concerned about with SGLT2s long-term. So we already talked about the black box warning with the increased risk of leg and foot amputations, specifically with Imacana. Um, now, whether or not that's truly a concern, um, we'll have to kind of just keep monitoring the data. Um, the other thing that the uh, reps would li- will like to point out is the Invocana. If you look at the actual, um, you know, the, the criteria for an amputation was below the knee, but the actual number of patients that had amputations most of them a vast majority of them it was like the toe that was amputated it wasn't like the whole leg so they do like the you know like hey it's not the leg that was amputated it's just the toe and we already got 10 of them so like why you need all 10 toes so you know it's not great to have to chop off anything but they do like to point out that it wasn't a lot a big majority of the patients having their whole leg amputated um some other warnings ketoacidosis um is definitely something to watch for um Genital um, mycotic infections, like we already said, yeah, yeast infection seems to be the most prevalent um, type of infection that you could have. Um, Pelonephritis, hypotension. Um, there's also a chance of AKI as well. Um, increase in um, potassium and magnesium are things we have to watch out for. And then hypoglycemia, theoretically. So if you think about how SGLT2s work, um, they you're you're lowering the reabsorption rate so if we think of normally we're able to reabsorb around 200 or so 180 to 200 um, milligrams of deciliter worth of glucose back into the system um, from the urine this sort of lowers that threshold so you're only only able to reabsorb around 90 to 100 and so the uh, risk of hypoglycemia technically speaking shouldn't be as strong as some of our other agents because you're still reabsorbing enough sugar in order to keep your blood sugar stable um but when you add that on to other medications and and uh things especially like insulin and whatnot you can definitely run the risk of having a hypoglycemic event yeah and they're gonna put that warning on any diabetes yeah. med even um glp1s and metformin yeah. which is nonsense with glp1s nonsense it's impossible and- so one of the things to really um, keep in mind is the clinician, and maybe not necessarily uh, advertise this to every patient because there's most, especially males, are not going to want to take this. Um, but uh, there is a um, there's been cases now reported of um, Fourier's necrosis um, happening in uh, SGLT2s. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Uh, make sure you Google it and then don't <laughs> tell them I told you to. It is horrifying. It's not good. And uh, it's basically, if you're not familiar with it, is like necrotizing fasciitis of the genitals. So, dudes, yeah, it's not what you want. Yeah, you know? I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd have to have some pretty solid renal evidence to use that if I'm not going to get any A1C benefit. Well, 
you stand by? I'm standing it's, by. It's coming. Cole. I'm waiting. Can you please have some patience for five seconds? It's impossible. While they do some research? Can't do it. <sighs> Didn't even want to read the Credence trial. All right. So um, we mentioned uh, some of the risks, all that stuff. Um, the other thing is to just so that we're all on the same page, the cardiovascular benefits to these guys, you know, we have Canvas with Invicana. Um, we have the Emperor outcomes with Jardians. So those all showed that you have a decrease in um, cardiovascular death as well as hospitalizations due to heart failure. And um, the Farziga data also came out that declared Timmy 58. It was either, I think it was early this year, maybe late last year. Um, they did not have a... Um, decrease is from compared to placebo and overall um, mortality, like their composite income, um, income, and I don't even know what word that is. Composite outcome. That means money. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but the, what they did have was they had a significant reduction in hospitalizations. So if the person does have heart failure, again, you could still potentially use this one. Um, but in my opinion, use Invoconart Jardians. Right, why not? So, yeah. Why, yeah, why not? Um, unless it's an insurance thing, I typically don't. So sorry, guys that work for Farziga, if you're listening. Nothing personal. And then um, the Stiglatro data is still going right now. It's called the uh, Verda CV trial. So they're looking at that. Yeah, and they spin it a little bit because if you look, they're like, yeah, it did have a lower rate of cardiovascular death or hospitalization for heart failure, but you separate them out and... You know, cardiovascular death on its own, not not, not, significant. not significant. I don't like when they do that. I feel like they're trying to get I one on me. I love it when they do that. They try mm-hmm. to spin things so they can sell stuff. It's ridiculous. Um, speaking of money, I did want to say that uh, as of last year, per this blog that seems to have detailed uh, data, uh, Farsiga was still the top, or I mean, uh, Invocano was still the top of sales. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's changed. So. Uh-huh. I do know one thing. Um, this is just a fun fact. If you're in South Carolina, the um, Stiglatro is the preferred SGLT2 for like Select Health Medicaid. So they, they must have cut a deal with the company. And um, what is it, Merck, I guess, that makes that. And so if the person does have Medicaid and you want to put them on SGLT2, right for Stiglatro. That's like the only time we ever use it at our clinic. Two is. comments on that. One, I was wondering why I'd seen it so often, more than Farsiga and Infocana, I think. And two, that doesn't seem like a great financial decision because I can only imagine it's more expensive than the others. It's actually cheaper. Really? Yeah, actually, yeah. they were so late to the game. It's like, I think, $300 a bottle compared to like $500 a bottle oh, for drugs. So yeah, They made yeah. a good decision. Yeah. And the problem is, for me, as a 340B, it's my most expensive one. Oh, right, because you can't so, get it cheap. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's fine. I just wish we had more data with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit biased towards Jardians, but... I'm putting that out there. Well, they don't, disclosure. They don't and if have you guys their, want to pay me, that's fine too. <laughs> they don't have the cardiovascular trial. Yeah. yeah. Do they have one? Are they working on one? Yeah. No, I called? just said that. You won't even listen to it. Um, I was very CV. I was too impatient. I didn't want to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that a lot. What was it called? Um, Verda CV. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, I think it'll be out this year, I believe, or, or, or early next year, something like that. But yeah. What else? Anything else with these guys? That's all I got. Allison, what did we miss? <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, that's all we get. Allison saying cut. Um, anything else you can think of, man, we want to cover? Hmm. Again, not a trick question, more so just because I'm often, I'm often forgetful. <laughs> you know, not that I can think of. You think oh. Azo works much better than like Advil? Probably not. 
I guess it depends. I think probably ask someone who would know. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is too, if you're telling someone to get Azo, know that there's a bunch of different Azos on the yeah. market now. Brandon, tell them to get Azo Pain if yeah. you do want the methanazoparidine. Boom. Hit them with another after hours uh, counseling point. <laughs> Azo Pain. That's the one you want. No, I, I, well, I learned that when I told the guy to go get the Azo and he brought me back like three and I was like, hmm, interesting. Is that combined with something else? What? There's like the Azo Pain? I think it's just Phenazoparidine. Fina- oh, okay. That's the plain Phenazoparidine, but they have other ones and some of them like are like nonsense. There's yeah. one that's cranberry. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like yeah, cranberry. And I yeah. think there's one that just like kind of tests. I think there's an Azo. It's a test to see if you have a UTI, mm-hmm. which to me... You to the doctor anyway, so why would you want to test first? He'd be like, yep, you are infected, and we still can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I had a lady ask me if she could cut one of the adult azos in half and give it to her daughter, and I'm like, well, maybe she went 12. I think she was maybe 8. I was like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. You're probably still going to have to get an antibiotic if you want to be resolved soon. She's like, oh, so this won't resolve it? I'm like, no, it's just for pain. You're going to need something different to actually resolve it. Plus, she's 8, so I don't really want to. Yeah. Too many recommendations here. So start figuring out why she actually has a UTI in the first place. Well, that happened. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Ian and Allison, thank you. Allison's a woman of many words. <laughs> We're happy to have her here. <laughs> Ian, thanks for contributing and stuff. Um, hope it wasn't too bad, right? Oh, yeah. Pretty thanks, chill. Thanks for having me. If, if I may say, um, when I first heard your podcast 26 days ago, uh-huh. uh, never in my wildest dreams did I imagine that I would be sitting here. But yeah. It's after a dream a, come After through. a long and arduous month of waiting. Here he, I am. he tried to he tried to get out of it yesterday. He was like, "Oh, I'm not gonna be able to make it." I thought he had something to do with his wife or you know something busy. And then I found he admitted later. Um, he's like, "I'm just really nervous about talking." Oh uh, yeah, I was I like, couldn't uh, make up a good excuse. So yeah, I, was, I came I, clean. I was like, "Respect, I like it." Um, and then he realized that we we have no idea what we're talking about either. So See, that's the thing with the pass fail situation. It's like, well, I don't think he's gonna fail me for not showing up <laughs> yeah. for the podcast. In the past, he could be like, "Well, he might give me a B for not showing up for the uh, podcast." Even though I don't think that's allowed anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, especially for the podcast. <laughs> right. Well, he didn't show up for the podcast. But they don't know that. Well, yeah. I felt like I was definitely on the cusp of failing, so better <laughs> show up. There you go. All right. Nah, they've been killing it. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, thank you for the support. And uh, if you do like the podcast, make sure you subscribe. If you want to see the video version, check out it on YouTube. Most of the time we have the video version. Not always. You know, sometimes I get lazy. But uh, it's available on all you know, platforms. So if you want to listen on uh, Spotify or iHeartRadio, whatever, um, make sure you subscribe. And then if you're on iTunes, leave us a comment. Um, we like to read those. Those are awesome. Um, feel free to leave funny ones too if you really just feel compelled we like those as well and uh yeah thank you guys so much um also check out uh facebook and shopify i can put the links in the show notes but uh we have some sweet t-shirts and hats and other swag stuff now and uh yeah it's it's what all the cool kids are wearing trust me so you're going to want to check those out immediately after listening to this and uh yeah we'll catch you next time see ya